From Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is on vacation this week, but he'll be returning next Sunday with the next message in our study through First and Second Corinthians called Crossroads. With this week's message, here's our guest speaker, Pastor Ralph Thompson. It's always uh, like a homecoming. I get to see a lot of folks I hadn't seen in a while, so I'm glad to, glad to be here today. I, uh, the general, uh, I'm hoping that... Uh, General Armstrong doesn't shout me down from the audience tonight, today. It's good to see you, General. Hey, uh, everywhere I go, I, I bring souvenirs. And if you don't know me, um, my relationship with your church is uh, a partnership through our ministry called Emergency Chaplains. And you've been supporting us since we started and since you started. How many of you guys uh, have our bumper sticker? Anybody have this? All right, can, is, have any of you gotten a speeding ticket since you put it on? See, it does work. So, if you want one of these stickers uh, at the end of the service, come down here, Carter. Uh, this is my lovely wife, Carter, and my, my wonderful son, Carl. Uh, we'll be down front here when uh, all's said and done, but we'd love to give you a sticker. We'd love to have you pray for us. So, uh, emergency chaplains, that's our connection. Pastor Clay, I hear he's away celebrating his 39th birthday. How about that? <clears throat> I hope I live to be that old. 39 years. I love your pastor. I've worked with him uh, since 1999. We've been on staff together, and then he, he's been a part of our ministry at Emergency Chaplains, and, and I was a part of the ministry here first couple of years that uh, we were cross-culture church, so this is homecoming for me. I, I wanted to start with a personal story. I want to tell you a story about my, my niece. Her name is Lindsay. Uh, Lindsay, uh, she was born the same year that I graduated from high school. So that makes her 20, wait, wait no, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, to, she's actually 40 years old now. But in her mid-20s, Lindsay decided that she wanted to be agnostic. Uh, she was not raised that way. Our, our family certainly was not an agnostic-leaning family. Uh, but she decided that she was going to be agnostic. And she announced that, especially to me, the preacher. And uh, she wanted to make sure that I knew that she uh, had... Um, what is it? She, uh, she had gotten great wisdom, uh, and she had, she had uh, uh, learned more about the world than I knew. So something happened during that time. Uh, rather than, uh, now see, some of y'all think that I'm the guy that puts people in a holy headlock and holds them down until they say Jesus. Y'all, I mean, if you've known me for a little while, you kind of think that's the way I operate, and that's not it. So I, I look at my niece, and it just breaks my heart that she is decided to be agnostic. So I come home, and I tell Carter, tell my wife, and we started to pray for Lindsay. We prayed for Lindsay. We prayed for Lindsay. We prayed for Lindsay. We prayed for Lindsay. We, uh, now, those were the days when I was an evangelism teacher, and I used to teach you that you, you won't write with Jesus if you didn't have at least 20 names in your Bible that you were praying for, Right? And we did. We, we had, see, we were right with Jesus. We had, uh, we had those 20, 30, 40 names that we were praying over, but Lindsay always came to the top of that list. And we prayed for her, and if we didn't pray for anybody else, we prayed for Lindsay, right? We, we wept for Lindsay. And we begged God to save her. We begged God to shake the blinders from her eyes so that she would come to know Him in His fullness. I would tell her, I remember telling her one day, uh, as I'm holding her hand, I'm sitting in a restaurant with her, and I'm holding her hand, and I'm telling her that I am praying for you, 
And I'm praying. I am praying that God will shake your world and the blinders will fall from your eyes. I am praying that Jesus Christ will save you radically. And I'm praying that Jesus will be the center of your life and you will serve him with reckless abandon for the rest of your life. And, of course, she looks at me and she says, please don't embarrass me, but tears are welling up in her eyes. And I, I just come back and we pray harder and harder and harder. Not, not that praying hard, I don't, I don't know if that makes a difference or not, but it certainly doesn't hurt. She calls me one day, and she had been on a mission trip with some friends from a church that she was not a part of. She told me she was going on this mission trip, and I'm thinking, you know, what kind of mission trip do agnostics take? I mean, do they go somewhere and say, you should doubt? Yeah, I mean, of course, our schools do that, right? I mean, don't, don't go there, don't go there. Um, but she had told me that she was going on a mission trip, and she went with a friend who just invited her to go on a backyard Bible club trip to the mountains, and she got saved there. And what happened, well, yeah, it's cool, isn't it? Now, I get icing on the cake, man. I get the icing because I'm the first person that she tells outside of that experience. She calls me, and she says, Uncle Ralph, I need to tell you something. I got saved today. And she said something else that just blessed my heart. And she said, it's all your fault. <laughs> now, she said, it's your fault. It's Carter's fault. It's my, mom. my mother. Her grandmother was praying for her. That, that's pretty cool, isn't it? See, Lindsay, <clears throat> Lindsay was my one. Lindsay was my one. Now, if you've been keeping up with Southern Baptist life recently, uh, you know we have uh, launched this initiative, this evangelism initiative called Who's Your One? So I would ask you this. To, if you've not started on this yet, I want, I want everybody before we leave here today, if you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, I want you to leave here with your one. That's going to be, whether you have a list of, of one, five, twenty, or a thousand, this one is going to be that one person that moves to the top of your list and you pray diligently for and, and you look for ways that your life will intersect their life so that you can share the life-changing good news of Jesus Christ with them to change their eternal address from hell to heaven when they say yes to Jesus. Who's your one? Who's your one? The Southern Baptist Convention started this. What we want you to do is we want you to just identify one person that you'll pray for for the next year. Just one. I'm not asking you to pray for 5, 10, or 20. Just one. Just one person that you would pray for. Can you imagine? Imagine this. Would Cross Culture Church be different if all of us took that serious? Would the Southern Baptist Convention, would it be different if all of us took Who's Your One seriously? Would Raleigh, North Carolina look different just because that cross-culture church took Who's Your One seriously? I believe it. I believe that God will make a difference in the city of Raleigh, in the triangle, if we will seriously go about who is your one. How can we change the world? Uh, Pastor J.D. Greer, a lot of you probably know J.D. from the summit. When he announced this back in February... Uh, he, he did it uh, in Durham. I was there for that. I took really good notes. Uh, I would encourage you always take good notes because you might want to preach it as your own sermon one day. So I, I'm going I'm to, actually, I'm going to just give you a little introduction. Um, I, this is not J.D.'s sermon I'm getting ready to preach. I found it on the internet last night. And no, I'm kidding. It always made Pastor Clay nervous. I don't do that. I don't do that. <clears throat> I can't come here without saying that. 
J.D. reminded us, though, when we announced who's your one, here's the reasons for who's your one, at least what the Southern Baptist Convention and our president had laid out. He said, we don't need just another evangelism method. What we need, what we need, what cross-culture church needs, what the Southern Baptist Convention needs is a white-hot passion for evangelism. We need, we need a renewed passion for evangelism, to see people come to know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. We often get caught up in the activity that we do as a church. Uh, activity is good. It, it means that we're doing something. But activity is not the end all. Uh, just because a church is busy, just because a church is full, doesn't mean that it's doing the right things for the Lord. It doesn't matter. Listen to this. It doesn't matter how many potlucks we have, how many gatherings we have, how many Sunday school classes, how many small groups. It doesn't matter how good Pastor Clay preaches. It doesn't matter even how full this building is. It does not matter if the main thing is not the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeing people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. It doesn't matter what we do if the gospel is not the focus of what we do. It doesn't matter. Uh, Pastor uh, J.D. said this, and I just want to make sure these are his words, not mine. He said, if it is not your intent to do everything that you can so that lost men and women will experience the transforming work of God, you have failed at being a disciple. You've been, you failed at being a disciple. Now, I didn't come to make you feel guilty. What I came to tell you today is that you can start this today. Who's your one? How simple is that? Who, who, who's your one? Who is your one? And the reason who's your one is so important is, is we look to our pastors to be the leaders in evangelism. They should be. They should live an evangelistic life. But see, your pastor is not the point of the gospel spear. He's not. Ordinary people like you and like me, we are the point of the gospel spear. If we are going to make a difference in our world, it has to be done by the multiplication of disciples, not by really slick preachers that are really good and get people to make decisions. This is where, this is where people come to know Jesus is Lord and Savior. It's through our relationships. It's through the people that we know. And it makes it really important that we choose one, at least one, that we're praying for. You know, as I know, that our world today is becoming increasingly non-Christian, right? You can see that all around us. Um, this is what I would tell you. If we are going to reach the world, we have to be the church outside of the church. What we have to do is we have to build relationships with people outside of the church, outside of the church. Now, what I'm saying is programs are good. They, they are good. Inviting people to come with you to church is good, and I would encourage you to always do that. But if you're waiting for people to come in these doors and let Jesus make a difference in their life, if you're sitting here waiting for that, it ain't going to happen. Don't sit here and wait. We can't sit here and wait. And that has been the culture of the, Christian, the American Christian church for the last 50, 75, 100 years that we've lived in what we call a Christian nation, and the culture invites people to church. Times have changed. If we're sitting here waiting for folks to come in the door, it ain't going to happen. And the secret is that we, we have to be intentional about building relationships with people outside the church, outside of the church, outside of the church activity. So this is what I would encourage you to do. Is I want you to leave here today with one, at least one in mind, and then I want you to challenge each other. Uh, who's your one? It's okay to look at somebody else and say, hey, who's your one? Tell me about your one. And as you 
tell each other about each other's one, then you can take time to pray over each other's one. I can add your one to my prayer list. You can add my one to your prayer list. We can pray for each other's one. We can double the prayer power going out on that one. It'll be who's your two, right? Uh, who's your one, who's your two? What I would encourage you to do that is that use that as a way of accountability for who's your one. I tell you, it will change your life if you will pray for lost people. It will change your Christian life, I'm telling you, if you will make it a habit to pray for lost people. Pray together for your ones. And then intentionally look for those life intersections where you have with the people that you meet. Not just your one, but with all people. But especially, especially with your one. To be intentional about reaching your one with the life-changing good news of Jesus Christ. There's a website. I think I've got it on the next slide. Who'sYourOne.com is catchy, right? Who'sYourOne.com. Go there. Go to Who'sYourOne.com. I want to encourage you to do two things at Who'sYourOne.com. Go there and, and register your one. Now, they don't ask you for their phone number so we can send real evangelists over to their house. To say, they don't ask you where they live. It's just the first name. Just who's, who's your one? Go ahead and register. And then it will give you a prayer guide. It'll give you a 30-day prayer guide. You can also order resources, other things. I, I would encourage you, if you want to do it in your small group, to do this in your small group, to in, encourage each other and, and buy those, get those uh, resources. And what I want to do here today before we leave, I want to help you choose your one. I want to help you choose your one if you haven't already done that, and if you have, I want to, I want to kind of shore that up so you're ready to choose your next one when you get a phone call that says, Uncle Ralph, I just got saved, and it's all your fault. Because you're going to need somebody else to go to the top of that list when that happens, right? Now, who's your one? We're going to look at Acts chapter 17. I want, I'm going to talk to you about three principles that will help you choose your one. This sermon, I promise you, is somewhat unconventional, as if you've ever heard me preach, all of my sermons are. Uh, <clears throat> But this one is not exactly what you're expecting when we're talking about choosing your one. Let me set up the context for you in Acts chapter 17. Acts uh, was written by uh, the doctor, written by the, great, the physician Luke. Luke was a travel companion of the Apostle Paul. And they had just been on the second missionary trip. Paul had to, he had to leave Thessalonica in the middle of the night. You know, people were beating him and wanting to put him in jail and all this other stuff. So he went to Berea. But see, the mad people from Thessalonica followed him there so they could beat him some more. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't good enough that he got out of town. They just went and followed him. And he escaped from there and he went to Athens, kind of blended in with the crowd. Athens was, um, was a huge city. Paul finds himself uh, in Athens by himself waiting for the, the team to join him. And he's looking around and he sees uh, a big city that's full of iniquity, that's, uh, that's full of idols. He, he sees, um, I, I'm trying to think of the way that Athens would be described. It, it was kind of the um, cultural capital of the world, the sports capital of the world, the, the intellectual capital of the world. It's kind of like the triangle, right? Yeah, and uh, it's kind of like what happens if, uh, when you think about, uh, you got Duke's got all the smart people, and you got Chapel Hill's got all the good sports teams, right? Uh, it's kind of a, no, anyway, maybe. I'm in Raleigh. I guess I should say state, right? Wait, is anybody a real state fan? I am. I, I'm a state fan. <clears throat> but, but all, the, all the, the, the fun stuff in life happened in Athens. And Paul, he makes some, uh, just, he, he looks and he gives, makes some observations and he preaches a sermon in Athens. Now look at Acts chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 16. 
And I do want, to, want you to look for three principles. I'll point them out to you. Three principles to help you choose your one. Here's that first principle. <clears throat> Our world is full of lost and confused people. Does anybody believe that other than me? <laughs> the world... Our world, Raleigh-Durham, the Triangle, North Carolina, the United States of America, uh, planet Earth, is full of lost and confused people. Let me show you what Paul says about it in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now, he goes on after that to talk about Athens, and actually the world is full of of lost and confused people. While he's in Athens, he sees idolatry in full force. It's estimated uh, that there in, uh, in, in Greek, you're familiar with Greek and Roman mythology, uh, in Greek mythology that uh, they recognized more than 30,000 gods. Now, if you live to be, I think it's like 75 years old, you could worship one god per day and still not run out. 30,000 gods. I, it, you could make up your own god. It's, my pastor calls it Build-A-Bear Theology. Yeah, you, you, I mean, uh, you, you just kind of, kind of make up what you want your God to be and then build a little statue for it in your house. And there, Paul's wandering around town and he sees all these temples and statues and altars. And he goes to one and they're, they're afraid they missed one, so they built one to an unknown God to, to just in case they missed one. Idolatry is, uh, the definition of idolatry is anything that takes the place of God, that, that takes our attention away from Him. So I would ask you this question. Is idolatry a problem in Raleigh, North Carolina? <laughs> uh, they, what if Paul came to Raleigh? What do you think he would do? Now, let me, let me ask you a question. We're not, I'm not going to go here today. This will be, I'll leave, if, if you want to really uh, hear about this one, I'll let Pastor Clay cover it. What if the Apostle Paul came to your house? I, I'm serious. What, what does our life look like and reflect? So, if you, if you want to know more about that, I think it's Clay at Cross Culture Church, or Cross, something like that, crossculture.church. Just, you write him. What would Paul do if he came to Raleigh? Just think of it. Let's, we're, we're, what we're going to do is we're going we're to imagine that we've got everything in our house in order, and that we are able to look out, or we want it in order, and we're able to look out, we see the lostness of the world. The lostness of Raleigh. What, would, what do you think Paul would do if he came to Raleigh? I think he'd do the same thing that he did in Athens. I think he would go into the marketplace and he would preach. I think that he would go to where the lost people are, where the, the intelligent people are, where the people who, who are, the word I was looking for a little while ago, my, my niece, she got woke. You know the word. She got woke. Go to where the woke people are. I think Paul would do that. So Paul, and that's what the rest of this, or the chapter covers, Paul's sermon in Athens. It says, I'm not going to, put it on the screen, but Paul goes to the synagogue, but there's not many Jews in Athens, so he moves to the marketplace, is what the scripture tells us, and there he reasons in the marketplace with any debates with Epicurean and Stoics, and they call him a babbler who is advocating false gods, but they say, you know what, we really don't know what this is you're talking about, and we want to know more, so Paul was evidently attractive enough to get them to ask more questions, and they take him to this place called the Areopagus. And the Areopagus was a place where it, it, <clears throat> it had a lot of purposes, but it was sort of the place where the city council met. It, uh, they were the Areopagus. They, they were there, and, and they, they were the rulers of the city of Athens. And Paul goes in and, 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 and begins to speak to them, and it's kind of like a think tank of where they are, and it's kind of like 
um, where we go to places and, and a lot of people gather just to exchange ideas. Go to Starbucks, right? Where you can freely exchange your ideas and solve the world's problems. Or uh, go to, uh, remember everybody remembers the TV show Cheers? Where everybody knows your name, you go and you just sit on a bar stool and just drink your problems away and you explain them to everybody. That's, the Pegasus was kind of all those things together. I think they had a Starbucks and a bar, kind of like the new Harris Teeter over here. <clears throat> so maybe Paul went to Harris Teeter, I don't know. But, but Paul, he, he looks at him and he starts to preach and he, he preaches a sermon. He says, people of Athens, it's in verse 22 if you have your Bible, not on the screen, but uh, if you're looking at it, where he says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you're religious. And he actually calls them ignorant because they don't know what they're, they're worshiping. But, but he comes to this conclusion that the people of Athens are very religious. And can I tell you something about the people of Raleigh, North Carolina? They're very religious. They're very religious. These parallels come up over and over. They had a, a statue to an unknown God. And people everywhere in Raleigh, North Carolina, all over the state of North Carolina, all over our country, they have, they have shrines and temples and altars to unknown gods. They don't call it that. It's in their subconscious that they do this, but they have, they have these idols, these, these things that they worship, and it's not the living God. Now, see, everybody, everybody was built. God built everybody so that they will worship something. And he created this, this desire that, that, that they would want to worship and follow, and he also created the truth of who he is so that we are on a seeking mission. Everyone who, before you came to know Christ, you're on a seeking mission to, to, to find him. It's what Paul talks about in this passage. Um, everybody's looking for truth. Did you know that? Everybody's looking for something that would satisfy them. Everybody's looking for contentment in their life. Everybody's looking for purpose. Everybody is looking for that. And sometimes it just manifests that way manifests itself in other ways. And it's easy to kind of point your finger and say, yeah, you, are, you are having a problem with idolatry because of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? Yeah, the vices in life. We can really just throw people right up under the Bible bus when we start talking about those vices in life, can't we? I mean, we, we can really do that. But what about, uh, what about those idols like, uh, like your job or how much money you make or, or your position in the community? What, what about uh, just what we would call success idols? What about uh, retirement and relaxation being an idol? Uh, could it be? Could it be that grandchildren can become an idol? I mean, could it be that your wife could become an idol? Because there are other places in relationships that people are looking for that purpose, that contentment, and idolatry just continues to, to, to just raise up, just raise up. It could be, you could find it in your kids, in, in the things that you do. And you can, of course, you could find it in, in vices. But they're all equal because they all take you away from the truth of God. All, see, all idols are equal in, 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 in their badness in that they take you away from the truth of the living God. See, you know, you know right now, and I'm, I'm wanting you to think about your one. You know a lot of people. You know a lot of people in your family. You know a lot of people that you work with. You know a lot of people in your neighborhood that look like They've got it all together. They look like they've got it all together. And if you really start peeling the layers back, you'll find out that they are very, 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 very far from God. Just because they look like they've got it together, and maybe all these things that I'm talking about, these, these vices, these, these, um, these idols that people have, here's, here's what I'm trying to get you to do. You don't have to look too far to find lost and confused people. So you shouldn't have to look too far to find somebody 
to pray for. And let me say it a, a different way. Your world is full of lost and confused people. Not the world. Your world is full of lost and confused people. The fact is, you are surrounded by lost and confused people. It brings me to the second principle I want you to see from this passage. Second principle is this. God put you where you are for a reason. God put you, He put you where you are for a reason. We'll put it back on the screen in just a second, but I want to show you where Paul says this in verse 26 and 27. Look at verse 26. It says, this is where Paul says he puts you where you are. From one man, from Adam, God made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and God marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God put you where you are. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's in Raleigh, North Carolina. Actually, he, God, in God's providence, he has marked the boundaries of your subdivision and even how tall your cubicle walls are. God has put you where you are. And look at the rest of this. He did it for a reason. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. So from the Garden of Eden until 2019, God, in God's providence, he has put everybody where they are. He has marked your times. He has made you who you are. He has put you where you are. And he has put you when you are. He has put you right here in time in a certain place surrounded by certain people for a reason. And what is that reason? We see it right there in the text. He says the reason is that so some would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any of us. Now, when you came to know Christ, this was you. He had put you somewhere so that you would find him. I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about that in just a minute. But as a believer is what I'm wanting you to see. I want you to see as a believer, God has surrounded you with people who used to be lost like you, who need to know Him as Lord and Savior, and He's done it so that you would be the one who introduces them to Jesus. He has done this for a reason. I want want to tell you a quick story about how the Great Commission meets the providence of God. See, we're talking about the providence of God. We're talking about time and place, all those things that God is doing here. He's showing through this, uh, this passage, but the Great Commission, how they intersect with each other. I want to tell you my Uncle Sammy story. Anybody else other than me got an Uncle Sammy? Well, Uncle Sammy was not really my uncle. Uncle Sam lived across the road from us. Uh, I don't know, it's been eight, ten years ago, I'm preaching homecoming at my home church. Uh, it's one of those great days where I get to see old friends and eat uh, fried chicken and deviled eggs and just you know, live high on the hog. And I'm sitting, it's, it was three sections just like here, and I'm getting ready to preach. I'm kind of sitting the same place I was this morning, center section, down front. And in the middle of this service, the ushers come down the aisle to take the offering. And this guy that I refer to as Uncle Sammy is coming down the aisle, and he stands right beside me while we're finishing singing the, the offertory hymn. Like, uh, they, they still do it. They'll, I'm going there in October to preach. They'll do it the same way they did it back in, back in the 1960s. Very same way. Nothing wrong with that. Don't, don't get me wrong. But Uncle Sammy, tears are streaming down his face. And he just grabs me and puts a big old bear hug on. He's a big old bear of a guy. And I, I know what's going on with him. See, he, he was best friends. He and my dad were best friends. And my dad died in 1980. And he sees me. And anyway, we go to lunch. I get up and I preach a real good sermon. I think it was good. They, they're inviting me back, so I'm guessing it was okay. 
Um, so I, I get my, my fried chicken. Carter saved me some deviled eggs because I was at the back of the line talking to everybody. But I, I got my fix. And I'm sitting right across the table from Uncle Sammy. And Sammy starts to cry again. And he looks at me and he says, I, he says, I just lost. He said, in church, I need to apologize because I lost it. And he's crying again. He said, I just lost it. But I looked at you, and you look just like your dad. And you know how much I loved him. And, uh, oh, my goodness, I miss him so much. He, at that point in time, I think he'd been dead almost 30 years. And he said, I just need to apologize. And I said, oh, man, I know how much. I know, I know the relationship. Lived right across the road from us. We went hunting all the time. We had a good time together. And then his lip begins to quiver. I'll never forget this. His, his lip starts to quiver. Tears, again, just run down his face. And he said, I, I don't know if I've ever told you this before. He said, but your dad led me to the Lord in 1965 in my living room. Your dad led me to the Lord in 1965 in my living room. I got to tell you all something. That was worth the trip, man. Even if I hadn't gotten deviled eggs that day. <laughs> Dude, that was worth the trip. 1965, this is what I want you to see from this passage. God intersected the lives of two men that didn't know each other. Lived right across the road from each other in this little place, the center of the universe, if you don't know it, it's Providence, North Carolina, it's in Caswell County. It's where everything in the world revolves around. It's the, it's the perfect center of the universe, I'm sure. I'm convinced of that. I mean, it's, it's this tiny little place. And God intersects the lives of these two men in 1965. And he, he begins this, my dad began this project of going to see Uncle Sammy every week. And he was praying for Uncle Sammy. Let me tell you something about this. My dad, who died in 1980, was the one who invented Who's Your One. The Southern Baptist Convention owes him a royalty because he's the one. He's the one that invented this stuff. Because he took it personal to, to take on Uncle Sammy. Now, Uncle Sammy got saved because somebody was praying for him. Uncle Sammy got saved because God was working in his life. All those things intersected, and he let my dad be a part of it. I want to ask you a question. How did you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If, if you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, some of us think that because we, uh, excuse me, that because we, we grew up in church or because we, we lived, we were in a Christian family, that somehow we got this thing organically. And, and let me tell you, that's nothing, nothing's further from the truth. N nobody in this room, if you know Jesus, your Lord and Savior, you did not get saved organically. It did not happen organically. Now, I'm telling you, you could have gotten saved by, through a vision and Jesus just, you know, he just put the smack down on your life. And it does happen. It does happen. But the way that most people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior is because of interaction with disciples who are making disciples, living out the Great Commission. The providence of God meets the Great Commission, and it's our job to carry out the Great Commission. It's in the Bible for a reason. God could do this all by himself, but he chooses to use us. How did you come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? It didn't happen organically. It happened. I, I want to I tell you something. I, if I were a betting man, I would bet that everybody in this room came to know Jesus because of a couple of different things. It was intersection with disciple-making disciples, and somebody in the background was praying for you. It may have been the same person. might have been the same person. 
think about it. I think that, because I used to think this kind of thing, that I grew up in a and don't you ever let anybody guilt you into thinking you got some kind of, got a great privilege because you, you were born into a Christian family. That's how you got it. Because you, you were born just as far from God, just as dirty, filthy, rotten, far from God, no matter what kind of family, what kind of church you grew up. You were far from God until you realized the fact that you were a sinner and repented of your sin and turned to Jesus Christ and asked Him to be your Lord and Savior. And behind, behind every repentance, I believe, is, is somebody that was praying for you. Now, it may just be that the Holy Spirit's the only one doing it. It might be all that's praying for you. But I'll bet you that somebody else is praying for you. And when somebody's praying for you, that means the Holy Spirit is praying for you. And I'm telling you, God has put somebody in your life that you already know that you need to be praying for on a regular basis and looking for a way to intersect uh, their life. Where are you going to be tomorrow? Where are you going to be tomorrow? Are you going to be at work? Are you going to be at your house? Are you going to be in your neighborhood? You're going to be driving on I-40? Where are you going to be? You got a business meeting? Are you going to school? Where are you going to be? It is not an accident where you're going. God knows where you're going, and He's going to put you in, in front of somebody that you need to love on in Jesus' name, no matter where you go. He's going to do that on a daily basis, on, a, on, a, on an hourly basis, and it's my job to open my eyes and see who it is that he's putting me in front of. God put you here. He put you here. He made you who you are. He put you where you are. And he made you when you are. And he did it for a reason, not just so that you would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, so that you would be a catalyst for others coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I ask you this. I want to ask you, who's your one? Who's your one? If you haven't decided yet, I want you to decide before you leave here today, because it is urgent. It is urgent that we pray for the lost. It is, time is of the essence that we pray for the lost. And I want to encourage you, just simplify your life. Just start praying for one on a regular basis. Look at this third principle. This third principle reminds us how extremely urgent who's your one is and why it is so urgent. Look at what Paul said in his sermon in verse 30. He said, um, he said in the past, God overlooked such ignorance but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. The third principle is this. Jesus Christ is the only hope for our world. Jesus is the, is the he is the only hope for our world. And in this passage, he talks about in the past, he's talking about in the Old Testament days when God overlooked or when he, he actually stalled judgment is what he did. In those Old Testament days, he kind of overlooked. He gave people a pass. It doesn't, they still, they're still under the same law that we are and the, and the same requirements to come to Jesus as we are, but, but he hadn't called the cards in yet. But when Jesus died on the cross, he called it all in. See, things change, and Paul, Paul says, but now, when Paul says that, he says, but now, he's talking about we are living in the last days. From Athens to 2019, from the cross till now, we are living in the last days, and repentance is required. It is, re it is required in order to be in right standing with Jesus is that we turn from our sin and ask him to forgive us for our sin. We agree with him, and we turn from our sin. And then the, this passage is a really cool passage because it really lays out who Jesus is and, and why he can judge us. It tells us that he is the righteous judge. He is the only one who can deliver true justice. He's the righteous judge because he was a perfect, sinless, spotless lamb of God 
who died on the cross in my place. He died the death that I should die so that I could live the life with him in heaven. I mean, what, a, what an amazing story that is. And that gives him, that gives him the right to be the judge. And because he's the one that's doing it, he's the only one that can truly dispense true justice. True justice in our world. He's the only one qualified to do that. See, Jesus, he died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. He, he, was, he overcame death, sin, hell, and the grave through his resurrection and that's what Paul says in this verse when he says he proved it. He says God has given proof to the, of this to everyone that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. And he is the judge. He's the one who can judge. He's the one who can do it with justice. He's the only one that can do that because he lives. Because he lives today. And he, because he lives, we, we can worship him. We can, we can give him our allegiance. But Jesus says that this, this way, if you truly, if you truly love him, you'll keep his commandments. That's true worship. It's if we truly love Jesus, it's, it's a full expression of our love and that we keep his commandments. And, and, and one of the primary commandments we start talking about, the great commandment about love your neighbor as yourself, right? And when we talk about uh, to, to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to live out the great commission, just the, the major tenets of, uh, of evangelistic ministry, you know, we, we ask ourselves, a primary way to show our love for God is to just pick one. Just pick one. I want to show you a picture again, uh, this, uh, or a picture of my niece. Uh, this, this is my niece and her, her husband, Eric, and her little girl, Anna. Anna's my great niece. Um, they, uh, they've been married now for, um, uh, I think, about 10 years, uh, nine or 10 years. Shortly after she came to know Christ as her Savior, uh, she got married. This guy was actually the guy who introduced her to the folks she went on the mission trip with. He, he's a believer. So uh, he got her saved so he could marry her, right? She is serving Jesus with reckless abandon now. Uh, she, uh, she is brokenhearted for the lost. Her, her primary uh, uh, prayer point for the lost is her parents. My sister and my brother-in-law who lived, uh, who were, grew up in the church and just, they did the same thing that she did uh, when they were adults, but they just didn't tell everybody that they were agnostic or just going to live that way. So they're, they're far from God. So she, she is serving the Lord now for several years. I want to take you back into that scripture for just one second in verse uh, 31. You look at your Bible if you have that. In verse 31, it says, God has set a day when he will judge the world. Look at that. He has set a day. He has set a day. Here's my question for you. Do you know when that day is? God has set a day, and, and Scripture tells us that not even the Son knows the day. I don't understand all that, but that's what it says. So I, I think that God put that there because we'll never know that day. This is what I want you to hear from me. We urgently prayed for Lindsay. Because we didn't know when her day would come. Because, see, the day will come either in Jesus coming back and, and taking the church back or when we die. I, I, I don't know. And, and, think, and I go back to my, my, my precious niece, Lindsay. I can't imagine heaven without her. I, I can't imagine that. I don't even have to think about her going to hell. Because, see, that, 
That's what this is telling us. See, it's a warning that God has set a day. And if we know Jesus is Lord and Savior, if we're right with God, and if we're in right standing with God, we have accepted Him as Lord and Savior, we're good to go. And, and we get really selfish as Christians. We're, we're saying, I want to live out my life, and I want, I want to do discipleship way that when I stand before God, that He'll say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. I want that. I want it. I want it desperately. But can you think about the people that you know and love and the words that they would hear from God if they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Away from me, I never knew you. See, if you start thinking about it in those terms, the people that you love and the words that we'll hear when we stand face to face with our Savior, He has set a day. It's a day that we have to go. And, and, and this reckoning is coming. We all, no one, no one escapes this. It's there for all of us. And so my question to you is, this is what I want you to do today. I want you, if you're not praying on a regular basis for lost people, and if you don't have a one, I want you to take your telephone out and start looking through your pictures. Now, if you've got a bunch of selfies there, we might need to talk to you about idolatry. Now, um, hopefully somebody in the background of your selfie is, uh, that you can pray for. Look, look at your pictures. Look, uh, look on your refrigerator for the pictures of the people that you love. When you go to work tomorrow, look around and look at the people that look like they've got it all together, but you love them, or you want to love them. Who is it that God wants you to pray for them and to move them to the top of your list, to pray for them, pray that they would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and give God permission to intersect your life with theirs? Would you do that tomorrow? Would, hey, would you do it starting today? I want, you to, I want you to seriously consider who is your one. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross Culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.